I think gone are the days when people just made the assumption that payroll, oh, you just press a button. And I think as the world evolves and this is recognised, not just how important payroll is, but the complexity of payrolls and with companies operating internationally, but more and more it's recognised how important it is to have an accurate payroll. Yes, not just in terms of paying people, but the external reporting requirements and the internal financial reporting, etc. Welcome to the Payroll Podcast with your host, Nick Day. Find out what it takes to truly discover what it takes to elevate your career within payroll as we meet with the industry leaders who are shaping the industry for tomorrow. Welcome back to the Payroll Podcast. My name is Nick Day and I'm CEO at JGA Recruitment Group Specialist Payroll Recruiters. And today I'm super excited to welcome a friend to the show, someone I've known for over 15 years, a global payroll, employment and expatriate tax expert, Kerry Hudson. Now, Kerry is ATT and ACIPP, and she's now a senior manager in the Central Technical Employer Reward Services team at KPMG. For those not familiar, Kerry is the winner of not one, but two Expatriate Payroll Manager of the Year awards issued by the Global Payroll Association, which she won in both 2017 and 2019. So we're in really, really safe hands today as we really do examine the world of payroll in relation to expatriate tax and global mobility. Now, Kerry has previously worked for absolute industry behemoths, including Deloitte, EY, V Group, Fitzgerald and Law, in roles such as Director of International Payroll, Legislation and Compliance Lead, Global Mobility Tax Manager, and Expatriate Payroll and Executive Compensation AVP. So we are talking today with someone who has a wealth of experience in the world of expatriate tax, global payroll, global mobility, and more. So super excited to jump into some questions and super excited to have you on the show today, Kerry. How are you feeling? Hi, thanks, Nick, for that introduction. That's amazing. Yeah, feeling good, thank you. I'm very excited uh, to be talking to you and everyone about my experience and my passion, that is global payroll. Fabulous. Well, super, super delighted to have you on the show today. I'm going to ask you the first question I ask all my guests, which is this. What does the word payroll mean to you? I think something for me is is people, pay and privilege. So to to be responsible for payroll, you are in a very privileged position and it's a position of responsibility. And I feel an emotional uh, responsibility to ensure that we pay people correctly because that is such a massive part of everybody's lives. So the payroll element of any part of my work is always key. So important to help people feel safe, comfortable and release that stress off their shoulders as we're delivering pay to them. Uh, each month or whatever their pay cycle might be. Fabulous. Long answer, sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. Well, we were talking off air just a moment ago, and I think you know your first role, you know, back at Hale and Company, where you're working as a tax advisor 20 years ago now, same kind of year that I came into payroll recruitment. So we kind of started this journey together, if you like. But we were talking, and you said that nearly all the payrolls you've worked with in your career today have been in-house. Tell us a little bit more about why you think that's given you such a good grounding in the world of payroll. Yeah, so thanks. So for me, that has meant that I've had to really understand the configuration of a payroll. So how it's built from the, the, you know, literally from each wage type. How does it behave? How is the calculation? 
instructed behind each wage type, how everything hangs together. So in, in various roles, I've been responsible on the projects that have implemented payrolls and then have looked at a blueprint to actually expand and look at the global payroll piece and like a, a global data repository and how that might feed in. So I feel for me, it's been that privilege to actually be hands-on, completely in-house. And, and of course, as we all know, you know, when everything's running fine and smooth, that's great. But it's when the problems kick in, when peril falls over, that's when I feel that I re have really learned the, the nuts and bolts and the ins and outs of, of a system. Yeah, which has kind of really carried me throughout my career. Super. Now, give me lots of people listening to this. Maybe they work on in-house UK payroll, standalone positions, smaller teams. And there'll be others that have huge teams and huge remits. And the, the world and the beauty of payroll is its uniqueness and how every payroll is different. But you've worked for some absolutely fantastic companies that we'd see as industry blue chips. You've worked in some great roles in terms of the titles you've had at AVP and director. But people listening go, okay, that, how do I possibly get from payroll manager and you know, managing a UK poll at the minute into some of these exciting sounding roles, amazing businesses. What's been your journey that's allowed you to take some of those steps? Yeah, thanks, Nick. I think for me, my career path, because if you look at my CV and look at the moves, I'm not, I am not industry specific. So I have always looked for opportunities that would grow my knowledge, but give me the opportunity to learn and to help add value and sort of make a difference. And that has definitely been my career path. So I've not been afraid to ask, to approach, to network and explore opportunities. So I think I don't fit in one set category, um, but that is because of my, yeah, just because I've wanted to learn, I've wanted to make a difference. And, and I've just had some very fortunate opportunities and I have been able to do that. What was the first opportunity you you got that uh, moved you into that kind of world of expatriate tax? So that was, um, you mentioned 20 years ago, I worked for Hale & Company, Hale & Co. And that's where I studied and gained my tax qualification. And there was a lady that joined that company from Deloitte. And I was chatting away to her and I realised a piece I was missing in my experience was expat tax, but also share schemes and share schemes when you're looking at that global piece and, and, and people moving internationally. So, so I took the opportunity, applied and I joined Deloitte at that point um, and then moved across to Ernst and Young. So, so that was really my first defined sort of choice and steps to sort of increase my knowledge. And then after Ernst and Young, I joined um, Barclays Capital and I joined them as the expat payroll manager. And that's when I really had to learn. So I had to learn SAP payroll inside out, you know, really learn to be responsible. I was a person signing off, making decisions. And uh, so, so that was a significant career change for me and one that I just feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity. So how was that shift coming from tax and work when you first move into the, the, the glorious world of payroll, which we're so passionate about here on the podcast? You know, what is it about payroll that really drew you in, that kept you, kept your attention, kept you wanting to yearn for, for, for more knowledge in that sector? Yes, I think for me, I really enjoy the problem solving. Um, but certainly for, for coming into, into that role, it was a vertical learning curve. You know, I sort of can't sort of say that, you know, lightly because I literally had to learn payroll proper, so to speak. Yeah. I had come from big four environment with expat payrolls, modified payrolls that were on spreadsheets. And then you'd often hand that work across to a compliance team that might do, you know, the revenue reporting. But coming into an investment bank, not only did I need 
to learn the payroll, but also the, the banking system, the clearance and everything that, you know, the whole end to end piece, really. And as stressful as that was and challenging and long hours, I absolutely loved it and thrived. And, you know, for me as well, really enjoy being part of a team. Certainly in my roles and my career, there is no I in team. I have developed my career, my knowledge and my expertise by being part of those teams. And I have worked with some incredible people, you know, incredibly experienced payroll professionals, whether they're more junior or senior. And I've learned from everybody. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing, fantastic. And obviously, five years later, you went on to win through the Global Payroll Association Expatriate Power Manager of the Year. So your passion sort of shone through and recognised, which must have been a, a really wonderful feeling. How, how was that when you won your first award? Was it expected or, you know, tell me a little bit about that experience. Yeah, not not at all expected. Um, you know, obviously you sort of see the different award ceremonies of the different industries and it's fabulous to celebrate with friends and colleagues. Um, and it was my role at Fitzgerald and Law. They were very keen on um, submissions to the various tax or payroll award associations. Um, so no, it definitely wasn't expected. Um, although there were several of us in the payroll team that had been um, put forward. So we did obviously know we were shortlisted sure. and we made that fantastic trip to Amsterdam um yeah the the wonderful award ceremony and so for me I'd never really put myself forward or had been put forward for an award so so when I you know when I was named as the winner for me it did come as a complete surprise and I think at that point um you sort of look at yourself and go oh oh well that was me and 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 so you know you really enjoy and you're passionate about your work but to actually be industry recognized and be able to share that um what with yourself and uh, and everybody else then um that for me was just an amazing experience well, I know that um, I've known you now for so over 15 years. You've always been very humble. You've always been very modest. But actually, if you go back to that time, for those not familiar with your background at Fitch Dublin Law, you were a director of international payroll. And even to this day, we're getting more payroll directors now coming through, which is great. More companies recognising the importance of payroll with directorship titles. But back in 2016, you were one of only a very, very small handful of individuals in the whole of the UK that actually held a payroll director title, which I think is fantastic. And, and help gain recognition for others now who are following that that same path but if i was to come back to that what's your view on on the world of pale you know giving more titles at director level do you think this is a step that the industry needs to take and, and what value can can professionals give at that directorial level yeah, 100%. I think gone are the days when people just made the assumption that payroll, oh, you just press a button. Yeah. And I think as the world evolves and this is recognised, not just how important payroll is, but the complexity of payrolls and with companies operating internationally and the way in which they um, pay people or the, the compensation packages, how they're built and how that feeds into payroll everything is more complex and I think perhaps if years ago you had an accuracy threshold that was relatively low then you wouldn't perhaps want the structure and hierarchy in a team but more and more it's recognised how important it is to have an accurate payroll yes not just in terms of paying people but the external reporting requirements and the internal sort of financial reporting etc so I think as that 
um, understanding and recognition becomes more important and it's sort of more of a focus for C-suite and you know, for exec teams looking at that level of detail, I think it's, it's a combination of factors that has supported the industry and has really brought payroll you know, to the table. So for people like myself, those opportunities come with that recognition. And also, I think for personalities like myself, when you want to actually, you know, bang the drum for payroll. So I will forever support all the payroll teams that I work with. And um, and I think it's a case of being in a position to champion that. So for those of us that have that voice and you know, sort of move into those positions, it's a real opportunity to explain to a business why the teams are important, why they do such an incredible job and why we should be at the table. Amazing. Amazing. Well, you're now Senior Manager, Employment, Expatriate Tax at SSP Group. So let's talk a little bit about how that relates to, to payroll and some of the work that you're doing now. So we've got things like global employment tax planning, uh, managing compliance and regulatory requirements. How does all this relate to the world of payroll for those listening? Yes, yeah, so, so interesting for me being a tax specialist that has progressed into a career in payroll, I find that I'm in a position where I can pivot around. Either I sit in the payroll team, I sit in the tax team, or perhaps I might sit in group legal or group reward. So what I, f- I can do is look at, so I understand the whole end-to-end, someone's contract says, we are going to pay you this or we're going to provide these benefits or you're going to be entitled to these share awards what I really enjoy and what I can bring to an organization is so did we do all of that did we do what we said we would do and did we do everything accurately and correctly so that I can follow the process through and obviously really key to that is how payroll um, processes all that data because it's how the data is fed in from the business how the business interact and behave so certainly at SSP group we do have a fantastic payroll manager and for me it's a joy to work with her because she's a very detailed person as you would expect a payroll manager to be but to be able to support her and work with her for me I think together we can add real value to the to the global organization there are a couple of um, sort of buzz terms that people may not be familiar with but you're now going to be working with that payroll manager to to discuss things like formal expat assignments or less formal arrangements and little things like that for those perhaps not familiar kind of give some definitions to some of the terms that that might relate. I wonder if you could just expand on some of the things that that you would communicate with your power manager, what some of those things mean for those that perhaps want to take this step but aren't aren't quite there yet or, or, or want to find out more. Yeah, absolutely. So for, for me, sort of when it's people and headcount, I, I might categorise. So as we've come out of COVID, there'll be the definition of hybrid working. We're all familiar and we're sure. all grappling with what policy or framework might look like on that. My next category is remote working. Particularly, I can reference during COVID where people have gone back home, wherever home is, usually overseas outside of the UK. And so Currently, I'm working on a, a different scenarios where we still have people in those locations. And what does that mean for payroll? Um, and, and moving on from the remote working, business travellers, and then a more formal agreement with individuals where the business and that person agree, you will remain on a UK contract, but we're going to give you an assignment letter on top of the employment contract and we would like you to work overseas. So they're the different categories that that's what I put them in boxes. And so when I'm working with payroll, it will be number one, 
what is a paying payroll? Who's going to process the numbers and actually deliver net pay to the individual? And secondly, what are the reporting requirements for tax? If I reference social security as a global term, yep. so the reporting requirements and the remittances to which location. So I will work with the payroll manager to start to identify who's responsible for each step of the work. And for me personally, really key is to understand the local payroll team, but also an overseas payroll team and I aim to build a relationship with an overseas team that's equally as strong. Uh, recognising language barriers, I'm very grateful for my overseas colleagues who do speak English. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm a tax specialist, so I'm not a linguist, so um, I do rely on my overseas um, teams to understand. <laughs> so often I have to simplify and break down terminology, probably if you're answering your question a little bit better. Sure. Um, I try and break things down into more simple terms and sometimes I won't use the word payroll sometimes I break it down and say bookkeeping because by using that reference I'm trying to explain the movement of numbers and reconciliation and then I can translate I into what that means onto which payroll that makes sense that makes sense now I think you've explained it really well there for me to get a better understanding hopefully the payroll community is following just as easily because as I'm not someone who actually processes payroll as we know I'm a group payroll expert so it's still really kind of cementing in my mind but something you mentioned there that really stuck out so you are obviously been working in global payroll for many years and you mentioned then it's really important that we understand when something is a paying payroll I'm not quite sure what a paying payroll is. So I wonder if you could just d- explain that a little bit more detail for me. And also, um, I know you're also quite heavily involved in or have been heavily involved in shadow payroll. So for those, again, not familiar, if you could just d- determine what a paying payroll is and what a shadow payroll is and why they're both very important to consider. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for me, a paying payroll is a system that will identify net pay and push that net pay out into the individual and pay them into a bank account. That payment can technically be made anywhere in the world from anywhere in the world so any system can push out net pay and pay an individual or it could be gross pay depending on the circumstances but there is a difference when there has to be revenue tax authority or local revenue reporting which to me is a really key part when I look at global payroll which location where what statutory legislation do we need to follow to submit the data from that payroll processing? So which location requires us to report its tax and or the social security calculation with the, the gross pay element included in there? And which, which tax authority requires a payment of those elements? So a shadow payroll can be like a secondary payroll that calculates all of those elements. But you might have a central payroll in a loca- separate location that is responsible for running numbers and paying out the individual. So. Some people might be frowning at my explanation, but but given my background in expatriate tax, when you're always going to have a home country and a host country, sure, the actual country that delivers the payroll might not be as you would expect. And I would say that's fine. It's the actual reporting to a tax authority and the remittance of those taxes that are key. So a shadow payroll is often uh, that mechanism where we deal with the reporting and, and the payment of taxes, etc. That makes a lot more sense to me. I can understand it now. So yeah, we, we make an assumption sometimes because we're a you know, UK entity, for example, it's going to be the UK paying us, but it may not be, but you'd run the shadow payroll for the taxation 
and make sure that bit's clear. Just, just, just out of interest, I don't want to go into, I could be opening a big can of worms here, Kelly, so don't worry if you don't know the answer. But does this mean things like pay-on-demand solutions? Does that add a huge layer of complexity to things like that? In, in the world of, or in your world of global payrolls, rather than just, you know, within one country? Because then you've got to, if, you, if you're paying on demand and you've got all these sort of shadow payroll tax considerations to consider as well, does that make it really complex? Is that something you're already involved in or is it just not not something you've had a chance to uh, be exposed to yet? So definitely being involved in discussions. So with CIPP okay. and GPA, so definitely involved on, on feedback and discussions and listening. And I think certainly in industry sectors, it's, it's sort of more popular than others. So SSP group, we're not looking at pay on demand, but coming back to your question for me the complexity on that is the tracking and the reporting and understanding local legislation and when you're required to report a payment to an employee so I think those factors for me on looking at a global piece make things very complicated I made reference to a previous question about bookkeeping so sometimes I try and break down the terminology from payroll home and host or shadow and paying and I break it down to the bookkeeping and trying and and sort of reference the the financials so what are the numbers what are we paying where is it balancing and then translate that into what the payroll um, processing should be and I feel that that side of of, you know pay on demand I do think it's coming and I think it is the future but I think it needs to be properly documented on how a company, how an organisation is going to manage that from all of that financial reporting, internal and external. I suspect, Kerry, that um, you know, I'm making definitely an assumption here. You must have a very good relationship with both finance and HR and the businesses you work with. Finance, because of your level of reporting, the data and understanding that cost element. I mean, the financial departments must love you for that if you're based in finance. But HR as well, because of the employment side of what you're doing, making sure that people are paid correctly, that we're, we're being adherent to the right laws and regulations. I don't know where you think payroll should sit, whether it should be on its own or whether it should sit under one of the other two but I imagine in your role which is slightly left field from from conventional payroll now um, you must have some fantastic relationships with finance and HR would be my assumption. Absolutely and I think what really helps is I can kind of understand the language and again I come back to this sort of referencing the bookkeeping so if I'm talking to finance years ago when I was studying for my tax exams I had to do a bookkeeping course and I had to learn what's called T accounts and you literally have your debit and your credit and everything must balance to nil so I feel find that when we're looking at the payroll postings and those reconciliations, I refer back to that training 20 years ago. Wow, and nice. for finance, that's what they need. They need that reconciling down to nil, to, to nil on each account, irrespective of where the money has gone and where the numbers sit. So certainly for me, that interaction and the language that you know sort of we speak in terms of the, those financials works really well. Yeah. So we bring it back then to what you're doing at the minute. Again, not every operation will will require an expatriate and employment tax specialist within their, within their firm, which we understand depends on the nature of the business. But we are going more global now, particularly post-pandemic with the idea of making hiring of employees much easier across borders, you know, with remote working, the ability to connect now virtually. Uh, we're seeing an awful lot, certainly in recruitment terms, of businesses now opening up the regions from which they they are open to recruiting from, rather than being with a you know, local postcode. Now we can recruit from Germany or France or beyond, so which is really quite exciting. So for someone a business you know who is looking to expand, make changes, what would you bring to a business in terms of experience and knowledge 
in relation to global pay or from an employment tax perspective? Certainly for me, it's, it's interesting to understand the business case and the drivers. Where is the opportunity for the organisation? Do we already have an entity set up there with a payroll or not? And, you know, sort of in the, the current climate, sort of global expansion, quite often an organisation won't already be in location. And that then becomes more difficult because you can't just register a payroll. It isn't just pressing that button. Sure. Uh, it's, it's complex. So, you know, where I can sort of be part of a team and support on that global review is to understand what operation do you need in that location? Um, what structure do we need? If we need a payroll, how do we implement it? Do we need to run our own payroll or would we partner with a third party organisation that can offer a service to us that can do that for us? And so what I mean by that is if, if you're not going to open an entity in a specific location, then we have the reference of a PEO or I'd call an employer of record. So there are different ways in which an organisation can expand and move into a location and operate a payroll. But most companies will want to own and control and have their own entity, but it's not one size fits all. And there sure. are different opportunities out there that you can sort of consider. Have you ever asked yourself, how can I recruit pay? payroll staff effectively. Please don't give up on your recruitment project just yet. Here at JGA Payroll Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top payroll talent. We also understand just how costly a poor payroll hire can be. JGA Recruitment are a niche payroll recruitment agency who will partner with you to resource payroll candidates who will improve both the accuracy and efficiency of your payroll department. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. When you're dealing with these kind of considerations, you mentioned earlier about some of the relationships you might have with finance. Well, I think I brought it up and it sounds like you've got a good relationship with finance. What are, who are the other kind of internal stakeholders that you would regularly be managing? And what are some of the challenges then? We've talked about the nice side of it. What are some of the challenges you have to face and, and overcome in terms of process and risk and things like that? Certainly different stakeholders will have a view on what their role and responsibility is and what they own and then you'll have different considerations on the confidentiality of the information they're working on and how much information that they might feel they need to share with other parts of the business so certainly I can see that you you might you know with HR and the confidential information that HR are managing then they might feel the rest of the business don't need to see that information because HR own the people and are responsible for the contract But group legal, for example, will be responsible for the legal structure of wherever that person might be working. And if it's it's a new location or it's a location that is being developed, the actual corporate structure and articles of association might not support you know, the, the people agenda. So you know, the whole interaction and then obviously for finance, how are people being paid? And then we get into the world of when it's international and global payroll, transfer pricing and intercompany agreements. So you might have an employment contract and an international assignment sitting on top, that contract for an individual, but all this key legal and financial sort of implications are also very relevant. So you are, you're often then got a sort of, put different hats on for different people you're managing cross-departmental stakeholders all the time i'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit kerry but 
Are there any recent examples or any projects where the implementation of, of payroll has been particularly challenging? And if they have been, are you able to expand on why perhaps it was challenging and maybe what you did to overcome some of the obstacles? If there are any examples you can think of. Yeah, yeah. So actually, if I step back into my previous role at um, V Group or V Ship, so they're a global ship management company. So my role, not only to for land-based employees and, and, and sort of a global expatriates, also for seafarers working on ships and vessels. And actually, so for example, if you're looking at an oil tanker that's based in location, even though it's offshore from the land, the ship becomes a permanent establishment, or it can do. Uh, so, so the location of work and the crew could trigger the requirement to pay local income tax and social security that requires a local payroll. So certainly in my previous company, we would have ships working around the coast of Africa and that company wouldn't have a corporate structure in Nigeria, for example. So how do you do it? And um, what is the commercial risk and what is the legal risk? What, what is a company prepared to accept? Either ignore the seafarers are on a ship, don't run the payroll. But to get the seafarer on the ship, they needed a visa to land in country and to be then moved across onto the ship. So the, the complexity of being in a location where you don't have that corporate structure, but you want to be morally and legally compliant on the payroll in a situation that is almost impossible. So, so those challenges are very real to me in that role. And that's where I would look at how you can partner with local companies. Do you look at a joint venture from a corporate structure or do you then work with an organisation that can become the employer of record in that location? And then you're looking at risk. Who owns the individual? Who owns the payroll? Who funds the payroll on the timing of the payroll? So that, sorry, I'm talking a lot, that gets quite complex. It sounds complex, but yeah. <laughs> but that's partly what I enjoy is to look at that problem and start with think, gosh, that's, that's impossible, and then step back and go, oh, hang on a moment. It might not be impossible. Who would we need to work with and how would we need to look at that? And then start to put together the business case and, and usually a, a board pay for, for the board of directors to then consider what that business case and proposal looks like, what the cost is, and what potentially the risks are in the different elements, as, you, as we've said. I mean, it's a, it's a great example because, you know, recently we've all suddenly become a little bit more aware of the complexities of seafarers, right, with the recent uh, P&O situation. Yeah. So, you know, these are things that perhaps many of us hadn't thought about either from an HR perspective, an employment right perspective for on, on that particular example. But I wonder, and as an open question, really, if you're a seafarer, do you think the seafarers are aware of the complexity behind the mechanisms that have to take place, the complexities, the challenges that the payroll departments within the firms they're working for are going through in order for them to get their pay, pay slip at the end of the week bi-weekly, monthly, whenever it is they're paid. Because obviously you don't want to take any assignment if you, no one's going to take some of it if they don't think they're going to get paid correctly and on time. But I do think the seafarers are aware of some of those complexities and challenges that the payroll departments are faced with or not. Do you manage to keep that separate? I think it depends on the type of ship that somebody's okay. working on. So if they're on international cargo, then they won't be aware of the, the local complexities. And when I mentioned um, earlier, as we're discussing, a paying payroll can be, for that situation, the paying payroll can be almost anywhere. It can be a shared service centre. It might be in India, it might be in the Philippines. And so they're receiving 
usually gross wages. There might be some deductions for union fees are quite common, but actually it would be seafarers that work on vessels that are involved in the oil and gas industry usually. And they will understand the complexity because they will usually be contacted by a tax authority. There will be registrations to do with how that ship works. And so um, certainly UK HMRC and there is a UK Mariners National Insurance Unit. They review... I didn't know that. There you go. I've learned something today for sure. Okay. And I did it until I joined V Group. And that unit deals with this very specific legislation around the trigger for class one employee, employer, national insurance liabilities for seafarers working on the UK continental shelf. That's a little bit garbled to sort of explain the background. But the reason I explain that is, and then the individual seafarers would claim back the income tax that they, we were deducting through payroll and paying to HMRC. That's, you know, an age-old standard sure. tax refund process. But this team reviewed the legislation and, and reviewed the tax refund claims, held the tax refund, and they said, but you're not paying you know, class one employee national insurance. And, the, you know, we'd had legal advice and due to the circumstances of where they're employed and et cetera, they, and, and, and their nationality, they weren't required to pay class one national insurance. So the problem then happened was HMRC and this national insurance unit went directly after the seafarer and not to us as the employer running the payroll. So to summarise on that, that was very stressful for all of the seafarers. And <laughs> they talk. Imagine. So sunrise, think... it was very, very stressful. <laughs> <laughs> it was really hard. And I felt an emotional responsibility to try and take some of that stress from their shoulders and, and, and try and explain the legislation and try and push back on HMRC and have that correspondence. So just to give you that feel for seafarers that are placed in that position, whether it's UK, whether it's you know some of the EU ports and locations, there will be an awareness and they'll know it's really stressful because they feel that stress themselves and they feel that they have no control. And, and a lot, lot of these nationalities are scared of their own local tax authorities because of the power the tax authority might have in their country. Sure. So then payroll, I feel, becomes absolutely key and really important to support and, and, and be able to demonstrate that we're doing the right thing and that we're doing it for the right reasons. This may be um, something that actually I've just got the wrong end of the stick here, but I'm just trying to get an understanding from my side. For those that really au fait with how it works it doesn't have to be seafarers we're talking about people that are moving maybe working from one region and another region and you're, you're kind of tracking them around from an expatriate tax perspective can it be more beneficial for some employees to receive let's say they were due to get an annual bonus so they may be better off being in one lo- associated with one location than another for when that bonus period is paid and therefore if they're if they're up to speed with how this all works is it possible they may contact you as the employee and say, actually, can we delay the payment of this until I'm here? Or I don't know. I'm just thinking about if they yeah, said yeah. somebody's really you know, in tune with their with their taxation and how the different legislations work in different regions. Do you ever get that kickback from the employees? So in order for them to benefit you know, better their own situation, they might delay a payment or ask for something in a different currency or a different you know, diff- different process. Yeah, absolutely. And, okay. and that can be a regular occurrence. And, <laughs> okay. and I'd say the pushback on the employee will depend on how experienced either someone like myself or the, the payroll manager will be. And I guess it, the strength of processes within the organisation. So the answer is no, the individual can't influence and plan the timing of a payment to, to put them in a position of 
tax advantageous position. So no, they don't have that control and they shouldn't have that control. But what I would say is there might be a situation where the, the overseas move, the overseas assignment is to a tax regime that has a lower rate of tax yeah. than perhaps the UK has. So if the, the starting point is the UK and the UK are the paying payroll, Hong Kong might be an example, you know, where it's a lower tax rate. And when someone moves from the UK to Hong Kong, they will pay UK national insurance for 52 weeks. And then the UK national insurance liability stops. So you're no longer deducting that UK class one NIC um, from them. And they're in Hong Kong. So if, if the timing of the bonus, the time period they have earned that bonus coincides with the period they are working in Hong Kong, and there's no overlap in that, that time period for the UK, then then they will be at an advantage. But that also depends on the contract they've signed to go and work in Hong Kong. So some companies will have called fully taxed equalised. So that will mean that they pay the tax and national insurance on that bonus wherever it's paid, whenever it's paid during that assignment period. It will be equal to what they would have paid had they have sat in the UK all that time. I that's see. to do a tax equalisation, what we call hypotax. So that's um, that's how that would work. But if they're not on a tax equalised assignment and it's a different agreement they've they've reached with the company, then they might have an advantage. But I definitely wouldn't I wouldn't allow an employee to dictate. I, I can imagine that control. causing a few complications. Yeah, 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 for sure. But it didn't surprise me that you get those queries and nothing else. I think it's been a wonderful tour into the world of um, complex payroll terms and jargon that maybe not everyone's familiar with. You just got into hypertax at the end there, which is a great way to continue through the conversation. On more on a, I guess, less complex note, shall we say, Kerry, where do you see the world of payroll moving then? You know, the pandemic's had a huge impact on the profile of payroll. It's certainly had an impact on um, where, as we mentioned earlier, where people are based, that the, the world of work has changed, which obviously directly influences your role in particular. Where do you see the world of payroll changing and, and fast forward two, maybe five years? How do you think the landscape will, will, will look? So I think it's getting ever more complex. I think probably most people would agree, ever more complex. Nothing is simplifying. And the need to be on top of the legislation and the legislation changes is, is, is as important now as it ever was. So and, and I think as companies look to expand, so the companies will look to diversify, expand, you know, for all sorts of reasons with the economy, with the challenge, challenges of, you know, international trade. So for me, payroll is going to be key and so important going forwards for all the reasons we've discussed, the legal, financial, HR implications, to have a strong payroll team or a payroll relationship, whether it's in-house or working with external providers, I think to be a joined up team is going to be more important and more valuable going forwards and really key to the success of of a global organisation. So that's certainly my view. So definitely if anyone is looking for a career in payroll or to develop their career, I really, it's the place to be. In my career, I always gravitate back into roles that are very closely aligned with payroll. And that's my passion over, you know, overriding all the tax work that I do. I love that. I think something that's really resonated with me, Kerry, and uh, this isn't to take anything away from other guests I've had on the show or anything like that. But when we talk about the future of payroll, I would say 90%, maybe maybe more, um, keeping it statistical here for payroll professionals, um, 
will say that the future is based on technology and how technology is going to advance the profession. But actually, the answer you've just given is much more focused on team, uh, individual complexity, the, the ability for a pale professional to be able to understand and comprehend the comp- that complexity themselves, legislation knowledge, you know, dealing with tax and, and handling employees with the different as you say you get a lot of queries but you've got to be able to have that hr arm to say no this is the way it's done this this is your contract employment is how it, how it relates so i don't think you mentioned the word technology once throughout the whole episode which for me is actually quite enlightening because every time we talk about payroll now we talk about automation we talk about how tech's mm. going to take over the world um what's your view on technology because for me it's really lovely to hear that actually Technology is no way going to replace the world of pay. Well, it can't because of all the complex, the real complex things you've given us today on today's show. So I'd love to get your take on on where you see technology fitting in to, to, to the greater scheme of things. Absolutely. Technology is the way forward. I think I see technology as a supporting part of that bigger payroll overview. So I don't consider that technology will replace people. It will replace some of the more junior positions. But let's face it, we all have to come through as a junior to understand the nuts and bolts sure. and progress. So that will still remain. Definitely, I, I saw a demonstration a couple of weeks ago of AI um, technology and how that technology can help run data analytics and the instructions that can be given to, to the robot in effect to build spreadsheets from standard data in a database. So definitely that's the future. And I think that sort of type of technology helps to re- remove a lot of the human error and the natural human error that comes with people managing databases. Sure, sure 100%. Yeah, and and I think, you know, as as, um, understanding of global technology and, again, working as teams on global payrolls, as that knowledge and support and working together develops, then um, I still feel, you know, definitely technology is a way forward, but you still need those people. You still need that thought process that, you know, the brainstorming, the, the business plans, the processes, everything thought through. So I don't feel that technology replaces, it enhances. And, and supports in the right places. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. It supports the expertise that people like yourself and, and the people you've worked with have gained over many years to maybe to, to leverage the best use of that tech, I guess. Um, but the idea of a, a, a system running a global payroll single-handedly without any payroll expertise behind it would probably horrify you slightly. It would me personally. I'm quite <laughs> sure, as you mentioned that, that that will exist, that there will be companies that have that view and that's their vision and they will work towards and implement that. And I, I feel that until that technology is implemented and it's tried and tested and maybe year one, everything is fine, everyone's happy, but it might be year two that you've got some non-standard complexities that nobody, no human thought about. So it wasn't yeah. built into the process that things can fall over. So I'm not convinced yet that we're in a place where technology can run the whole end-to-end process. And I hope that it doesn't. I hope that we've got a journey to learn together before we get there. I mean, (laughs) I think if nothing else, Kerry, your career shows everyone who's listening to this, just, you know, how far people can go in in payroll. You've had a fantastic career. I'm sure one that um, you must be very, very proud of. It's a real achievement. So I want to encourage everyone who's listening to this to go, you know, you can go take your career in any direction in payroll. It doesn't have to be 
just to, to payroll management and there's a ceiling, you can move, move into technology and implementation, but equally you can move into tax and expatriates and global and all these different things. So uh, it's never been more exciting in terms of a pathway led profession, I think, than it is right now. Uh, I think that's really, really exciting. Um, and thank you so much for giving us a bit of a, a whistle top store, um, tour rather store, a whistle top tour of uh, global tax and mobility. Uh, we're going to open the vault, Kerry. Um, some quick, short questions with some short, sharp answers. Entering the vault. One piece of advice you would give to someone working in payroll right now. Always look up, never look down, but also have compassion for your colleagues. Yeah, fantastic. If you had the power of foresight and you could change the entire payroll industry with one action or one improvement, what would that action or improvement be? Better teamwork. I don't know. It's a difficult one for me to answer, but that's why I need Kate Upcraft to help me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kate's, Kate's, uh, Kate's been on the show twice now, Vessa. So uh, yeah, maybe we should, uh, we should combine the two and have, have another show. Uh, last but not least, I know that we've, uh, we've had a few dances along the years, uh, Kerry, at these different events. But if payroll were a song, what song would it be and why? Ooh, um, shine by take that there we go. <laughs> knocked out the park oh, absolutely shine with your you know celebration arms because i just think that that payroll should be celebrated and every payroll professional should shine and be proud of themselves in the the profession in their industry love that what a great great way to finish the show kerry hudson thank you so much for joining me today on the payroll podcast of course if people want to find out more and connect with you happy for me to share your linkedin profile in the show notes absolutely very happy to talk to anyone that wants to chat <laughs> excellent so i'll make sure that's there so if anyone has that burning expatriate tax question you need to find out more or you want to discover you know how the kind of the decisions that kerry's made in her career to get where she has then uh, i'll put that linkedin url in the show notes to check through and of course if you are a payroll leader uh, listening to this show and you need support with a particular payroll vacancy can see anywhere in the globe it doesn't have to be in the uk then we can support you here at jga recruitment group just go to www.jgarecruitment.com and my contact details will also be in the show notes if you want to reach out to me directly just leaves me to say thank you again kerry hudson for joining me today on the show i look forward to bringing the next episode of the payroll podcast real soon thank you kerry thanks nick thank you for having me thanks bye thank you so much for tuning into the payroll podcast with nick day of jga recruitment If you need help with a current payroll vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.